We've been talking about uh, what it means to be the body of Christ, what what it means to be the church, and a basic uh, principle, I guess, of this whole course, and I think this might be the last lesson in it, uh, has been that the church is something organic as opposed to something organizational. And, <clears throat> and my saying that is, is grounded on all of these various metaphors, I use that word guardedly, for the church in the, in the New Testament. I, I say I use that term guardedly, calling these metaphors, because I'm not sure that they're just metaphors. Like, when we say we're the body of Christ, well, that is a metaphor. And I want to say, well, that is a metaphor, kind of. Because <laughs> there's something more, it's not just a description, there's something concrete and real to it that, uh, anyway, you get what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, the church is an assembly of called out people, meaning a community. A community is not an organization, it's an organism. And when we talk about the church as the body, uh, it's described in Ephesians as one new man body of Christ. We're created in Christ, the body of Christ. We're reconciled across our cultural, religious boundaries together, and then together reconciled to God by the work of the cross. That's Ephesians chapter 2, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, that there's a, that the work of the cross reconciles us to each other as, as well as reconciling us together to God. That's a giant thing to see um, because in Western culture, at least, we have a very individualized conception of what it means to be a Christian. And in Ephesians, there's only one Christian. There's not a bunch of Christians. There's a Christian, one new man that we are each individually a part of. Wow, that is a revolutionary thing. Uh, and it's organic. It's not organizational. It's not about programs, though we might choose to have some, uh, but it's about relations uh, and a certain organic connection. Like, uh, we're, we're in the body as a consequence of the work of the Spirit to bring us to Christ not as a consequence of our own action. <laughs> God has placed each one in the body just as he desires in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So anyway, then if we talk about the body as a household, we really this is also from Ephesians, we're really talking about a, us as a family. Uh, so the main, the most common word the Bible uses for Christians in addressing Christians is the word brother. So in the body of Christ, I am as much Bob's brother as I am uh, my natural brother's brother. We are in a family 
if they're in Christ. That is real. And by adoption, uh, and we call God Abba, Father, that's a very intimate family relationship. This is something the Jews had a, of Jesus' day had a hard time with. Like, they, they needed God to be more transcendent than that. And of course, we don't remove God from his transcendent place, yet we can plop ourselves down on the sofa in his living room and find ourselves welcomed. Because we have a father-child relationship with God. We have a brother Jesus in Hebrews 2. Jesus is characterized as saying, I'm not ashamed to call them brother. I read that text and it just moves me because like he really ought to be ashamed to call me brother, but he's not because he has done the necessary thing to make it real and to make me acceptable in him before God, the Father. Good grief. What a privilege, but this isn't a... This isn't a club. A family is not a club. Uh, Even though fraternities call each other brothers, that's not real. This is real in Christ. Wow. Uh, So again, it's very organic. Another metaphor the Bible uses is the, the word temple, the dwelling place of God, where God comes to live with his people, to be present with us. Where is the presence of God with us? It's in the temple of God, which is the church. Now there's a reality where each of us is also called a temple of the spirit. So this, there's an individual aspect of this idea as well. But in, in the book of Ephesians, it's, it's collective. We're being built into a temple to all of us together. And in, uh, I think it's Peter, I can't remember, first or second Peter, where he says we're uh, the building stones of the temple of God. And so we, each of us has a spot in the framework, if you will, but it's only together that we become the dwelling place of God. I think you can see this in the body image as well. If I ask, well, how do people see Christ? It's a very strong tendency in the Western evangelical community to say they see Christ in you and in me and in him and in her, each of us. And yet, if we take the idea of the body seriously, they see see Christ in us together. It takes all of us to really bear the image of God in Christ. And so when we read in Romans that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, when we get to Ephesians, we might realize, oh, that's a collective reality, that we are conformed to the image of his son as a group. Oh, okay, well, that's bigger, more. It's, and it's also liberating in that now we can think about well, how do we do this together? And I don't leave church carrying the whole burden of it myself. I'm not sent into the world as an individual. I take you with me. 
And we ought to think about how do we operate as Christ in the world, not just how do I do it. <clears throat> well, that's a little different from the way I was instructed as a child. I don't know how you were instructed as a child, but to me that uh, group identity is way more important in scripture than I ever realized as when I was growing up in the church. Uh, then we, last time we talked about the idea of a flock and there's one flock and we made some observations like sheep don't shepherd themselves. Sheep are kind of dumb. <laughs> they need the care of the shepherd and what we do together as a flock is we keep an eye on the shepherd. Now we, there, we should observe that the Bible teaches us that there are some older sheep that are like assistant shepherds. What I'd like us all to observe is they're still sheep. <laughs> they're nothing compared to the actual shepherd. If they're any good, what they do is help us all to keep an eye on the actual shepherd. So they don't draw attention to themselves or to it's. And again, is this organizational or organic? A flock of sheep if, is not, you cannot characterize it as an organization. <laughs> it, it is pretty chaotic. And any of us who've been in the church for any length of time, we might also observe it's pretty flocky. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it goes ways we didn't expect and blah, 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 you know. So for all of us, if I'm going to be some kind of under-shepherd, which is really just putting it way too nicely that, that Peter can say to us, we're like under-shepherds. It's true, but it's really giving us a huge compliment because we're still sheep. If I, but if, and if I'm going to be any good in that role, <clears throat> it simply means... I help all the other sheep around me who happen to be around me. Peter says it like this, shepherd the flock of God around you. <laughs> so whatever flock you find around you, what do you do? What does that mean for me to shepherd them? It means for me to tell them where the real shepherd is. He's over here, guys. This way. He's over here. This way. He's over here. This way. And then, you know, we're all around looking at bugs and berries or whatever. And about once a week we need somebody to okay, go, hey everyone, over here. I see him. He's over here. Anyway, maybe more than once a week. So today that brings us to the vine. Now, Jesus didn't say the church is the vine. That's the first thing I want to observe. This all comes from John chapter 15 where the vine is very particularly identified, and the vine is Christ. So I am actually kind of stretching the language a little here to say this is a metaphor for the church, except that there's only one vine to which we are all connected. I'm the vine, you're the branches, Jesus said. Uh, so I just want to read this text, John 15. I'm going to read the first eight verses. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. I should mention here that the word clean is related to the word uh, prunes. Uh, anyway, they're really the two forms of the same word. You're already pruned, we could say, because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow, that's quite an absolute statement. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I start to question the sanity of Jesus when he says stuff like that. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. That's quite a thing to say. Really? Whatever? <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, that's where I'm going to stop, just because I've got to stop someplace. Um, so, what difference does or should it make that the Bible identifies the church as branches of a vine? Now, that's where I'm stretching the language just a little, because all I'm doing is observing that all of every Christian is connected to the same vine, and this is the thing that identifies us as a group. Uh, and so I would apply this very organic uh, metaphor to the church, and not just to individual Christians. Though it goes, this, most of this was, we could say both ways, it doesn't matter. We're, we are the group of people who are alive and fruitful in our organic connection to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. This is one way of identifying the church. We are the group of people who are alive and fruitful in our organic connection to Jesus Christ. Our identity is in the reality of our union with Christ. There's a lot of talk in the world today about identity. And uh, we identify ourselves in various ways. Our identity is in the reality of our union with Christ. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Now I've given you a couple of Old Testament references here because the idea of the vine goes back into the Old Testament where Israel is pictured as uh, God's vineyard. <laughs> so when Jesus says to a group of Jewish men, I'm the true vine, there's an emphasis in the word true here. There's vines, and if you read this passage in Isaiah chapter five, God is not happy with his vineyard. So he takes the whole thing out and put, plants a new one. So when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, all of us people who know Isaiah our whole lives think, oh, okay, 
He's talking about the replant job. Jesus is the true vine. You're the branches. The vine is the source of life that produces fruit. Uh, Branches don't produce, they bear. We'll say more about that. They don't produce fruit, they bear fruit. Those are not the same. Good fruit is the fruit that's satisfying to the gardener, God. And this picture comes from that idea in Isaiah chapter 5, where God is not satisfied. He said, you're bearing me wild grapes. What's going on here? This isn't the sort of fruit that satisfies the gardener. So the true vine produces fruit that satisfies the gardener. I'm saying this because I think it's important for us to realize that it's not just about whether the church is productive or not. It's about whether our, whether we're reflecting the character of the vine, whether it's this the, the good fruit that's glorifying, satisfying. Are you to, by goats? <laughs> they come by every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's glorifying to the, the, our Father, God, mm-hmm. uh, who is the gardener. So we have in this text a reference to the gardener. He does a couple of things. He removes the dead branches and improves the living branches. This is a very quick summary. <laughs> he removes dead branches. He improves living branches. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to dive too deep into, there's a lot of various theological frameworks around the interpretation of that, uh, but we don't need to go there for our purpose today. So I regard the dead branches as they look like they're in the vine, but they're not actually. The living branches are the ones that really are. Uh, so. Uh, when he says living, he means really, truly connected branches. Every branch that bears fruit in this text, he prunes. Every branch he prunes. Uh, now, we could spend some time dwelling on the pruning process. I think of pruning like this. It's the removal of anything that inhibits the fruitfulness of the branch. Anything. Anything. And how painful this is to the branch depends on really only one thing, and that is how attached am I to the thing getting removed? (laughs) So if I'm really super attached to it, it might hurt to have it removed. But if I had any brains at all, I would thank the gardener for removing it. To me, this is what James is talking about when he says, consider it joy when you fall into various trials. God's at work here. God's at work here. He's making you more into the image of the vine. He's making you more able to bear more fruit by taking something by putting you through some kind of painful process. Okay, so what can we do? We can rest in the work of the gardener. I can say, yeah, okay, good, good. Okay, I don't like it right now, but good. Okay, every Christian 
is fruitful. That's something to say. Every Christian is fruitful. There's an expectation of fruitfulness on the part of God from every Christian. Now, we're going to have to come back and notice, not because of them, but okay. Every fruitful Christian is pruned by the Father. If you're not a Christian, you're a dead branch. You don't get pruned, you get removed. Okay. Uh, uh, The Father removes anything from us that isn't helping us exhibit the reproductive life of the vine. That's my definition of fruitful, which I think we'll come back to. We're the branches. We are only alive in our connection to Jesus. Apart from being connected to Jesus, we're dead. Branches don't have a life of their own. They have the life of the vine they're connected to. Mm -hmm. Out of our connection to, which which Jesus calls here our abiding in Christ, the vine, we bear fruit that is satisfying to the gardener. The word bear here is literally the word for carry. Like if I carried you, if I put you in my car and carried you to the store, we use. if we were ancient Greek speakers, we'd use this word to describe that act. I carry you. It's the word we get the English word ferry from, like a boat that carries you from one side to the other. Pharaoh is the word. Uh, branches don't produce fruit. They carry it. It's a, it's a inclusion, the branch, in the work of the vine. So it's produced through us. It's not just hung on us. It's produced through us by our reception of the life from the vine. So you wouldn't say we have nothing to do with it, but you would say we don't produce it. We carry it. Uh, And the fruit that the vine Jesus Christ produces is the fruit, the true vine fruit, that is pleasing to the gardener, uh, satisfying to God. When I say bear fruit, here's what I've come to think it means. It means any and every exhibition of the life of the vine on the branch. Any true exhibition. It's what I'm talking about when I say we walk in fellowship with God and so bear the image of God into the world. That that is the fruit. The exhibition of the life-giving life of the vine through the life of the believer or through the life of the church, the collection of believers. I want to notice, if I can, that this takes a wide variety of forms that whenever a Christian exhibits the love of Christ to anyone, it's this. Whenever a Christian uh, testifies the word of God, it's this. Whenever a Christian does anything that 
reflects the true nature of Christ into the world or into the life of another person, it's fruit. Now, you can look at specific lists, you know, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. Uh, can, I, I can remember, as long, remember them if I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> all of those things. If I'm, that, what that means is, if I, from the life of, if drawing from the life of Christ, I'm gentle with another person, that's fruitful. And that's what God is working on when he prunes me. That's a broad category, gentle. The other thing I would notice about all the things on the list of the fruit of the Spirit is they all are all about how I relate in the world to other people. All right, and then Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that's a statement that requires, that's a very absolute thing to say. You say, apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's what that means. If you're not connected to Christ, nothing you do is pleasing to the gardener. Not, whatever you might produce, it's nothing. It doesn't count. It, it has no lasting value. It's not eternal. Whatever you produce, bear, in the terms of fruitfulness drawing on the life of Christ, is eternal and lasts and is pleasing to the gardener. So it's real fruitfulness. And Jesus is saying, look, except for me, your, your life has no standing before God. Your, your life has no value to the gardener. Your whatever you, you, you might be really busy and productive. And apart from me, it's nothing. Uh, so what are the branches to do? We've really talk, been talking so far about a bunch of stuff that the gardener does and the vine does. The branch bears fruit, but it doesn't do, but it doesn't produce the fruit. So what do branches do? Well, there's only two commandments in this whole passage. The first one is abide. So if you ask, what did Jesus tell the disciples to do when they were thinking about themselves as branches on the vine? The answer is abide in the vine. Abide in the vine. Uh, this is really nothing more than trusting Christ in all things, resting your life in his and looking to him. The focus of attention for the branch is on its connection to the vine, not on its fruit. I believe all branches go through seasons of fruitlessness, or relatively speaking, where it might be hard to see Christ in that person for the casual observer, and God's busy pruning. And then sometime later, suddenly they become fruitful. Most vines are kind of seasonal. Maybe this one is too. The focus of attention, therefore, for the Christian is not to go around saying, where's my fruits? And especially not to go around looking at the other branches demanding fruit. 
but to look to the vine, to abide in the vine. There's no commandment, no commandment in this text to produce fruit. Fruit is spoken of as the natural, unavoidable uh, consequence of being connected to the vine. Simple. It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the spiritual Christian. Uh, So our exhibition of the life of the vine is inevitable on branches that truly abide in the vine. So we might expect that we'll see some fruit from anybody who's really a Christian. Yeah, we would expect that. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to be looking at anybody and going, oh, well, you must not be a Christian because I don't see any fruit. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Well, you might not be, but that's not for me to say. Uh, The question is, are you connected to the vine? If you are, well, sooner or later, some fruit's going to appear on you. (laughs) Not because you produced it, but because you're connected to to the vine that produces it. Fruit is the natural result of abiding in the vine. Our reflection of the nature of Christ is the result of receiving the life of Christ. What we do, even the good things we do, is of no eternal significance, not satisfying to the gardener, if it is not done by Christ in Christ, if it is not an expression of his life. Now, I've given you a couple references there from Romans. The first one is about yielding ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. And the second one is about how the spirit is able to accomplish in us what the law is not able to accomplish in us. This is the difference between ornaments and fruit. The church can decorate itself. That is not the same as being fruitful. (laughs) A Christian, even a non-Christian, can hang little bits of righteous-looking stuff on themselves and look fruitful. But real fruitfulness is produced by the life of the vine, not by the branch. The second commandment in this text is the commandment to ask. Ask. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. (laughs) So I ask you, how do you pray? Well, here's how I would tell you to pray. Ask for whatever you want. Just ask for whatever you want. Now, what you want is about as screwed up as possible. It's not going to be right. But Jesus says, ask whatever you wish. The scripture says the spirit intercedes for us when we pray because we pray foolishly. The spirit prays wisely on our behalf when we pray. Just ask. Don't worry about how great your prayer is. Just pray. Uh, And I think when you pray, you're already doing the thing Jesus died on the cross to make possible for you. So no matter how smart or stupid or wise or unwise your prayer is, 
no matter how according to God's will it is or according to your own stupid will it is, you are doing the right thing if you are coming to God with whatever's on your mind. And you are doing the very thing Jesus died to make possible for you, which is you can come to God with whatever's on your mind. This is why I always say the whole sum total of the Christian life is prayer. There's nothing actually more to it than prayer. Whatever you're doing, you're praying because you have access to God, standing before God Almighty because you are in Christ. That is the reconciliation that the cross is for. It's not just a thing that's available to you because of the reconciliation, it's the reconciliation, if that helps. Uh, His words are life. I want to notice, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Here's where he sneaks in the hidden condition. Ask whatever you will and it will be done. (laughs) Well, if his words abide in you, it changes how you, it changes what you ask. There's no avoiding it. If it, if If you abide in him and his words abide in you, you are experiencing the transformed mind that Romans 12, 2 is talking about that causes you to be discerning about God, what God wants. And so suddenly your prayer is according to his will. And if you pray and you ask God to do something he already wanted to do anyway, the answer will be yes all the time. He doesn't say no to his own will. So when he hears it from you, he says, yes, ask whatever you want. Your wanting has changed in this equation when his words abide in you. You abide in him, his words abide in you. This is the psalm that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The person who delights himself in the Lord, the Lord is the desire of his heart, so he's happy to comply. Yeah, okay. So it's not magic, it makes perfect sense. Jesus isn't giving us a magic formula, you know, do it this way, you know, the secret handshake. He's just telling us God operates as a rational person. And so when we are transformed by the life of Christ coming to us by the words of Christ, and I want to add here with the, with the uh, activation of the spirit of Christ dwelling in us, Things have changed. We're not the same branch we were. All right, so his words are life. Psalm 1, you know, that's the, on his word, he meditates day and night. Everything he does prospers. Isaiah 55, that's the, his word does not return to him void. It accomplishes the thing for which he sent us, for which he sent it. John 6, Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the difference between soul and spirit. I'm telling you, you can't tell the difference between your soul and your spirit. You don't know where the line is, but the word of God does. It dissects you with absolute perfection. So... When we are bathed in the Word of God, we are transformed by the experience 
There's a couple more references to James 1.18, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and doesn't ignore what it says, but does, acts on it, he's a transformed person. He's blessed in all he does. That's a similarly absolute statement to whatever you ask, it'll be done. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, this is 14 and 15 I have cited here, which is the place where Paul notices that the scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. Uh, The life of the vine comes by the words of Christ activated by the spirit. If you, I, I mean, I'm pushing the analogy past where Jesus did a little bit here, but if you ask the question, how does the, what's the sap of the vine? I think the answer from this text would be the words of Christ. The answer from the text would be the words of Christ activated by the Spirit. It's the, it's really the Spirit uh, that makes the Word of God comprehensible to a person, because apart from the work of the Spirit, it's not. Uh, this is why we are Bible-based and gospel-centered. This is why the main thing I do in preaching is explain the scriptures. <laughs> this is why we read the scriptures in every service, and we encourage you to read the scriptures and study the scriptures. You know, for most of the life of the church, a regular old Christian did not really have any kind of personal access to the scriptures. It was only through the life of the church that you'd hear the scriptures read. Now, you can have it anywhere, anytime, to any extent. For me, one of the best things I was forced to do as a child was uh, memorize scripture. That is like the words of Christ dwelling in me, just without any decision made on my part. In fact, I was a little resistant to it at the time. Mm-hmm. We all were. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> but the Spirit uses that stuff all the time because I just have it in my head. Uh, so, ask. Now, here's what I want to notice. Asking is just the how-to of abiding. Because <laughs> Jesus said abide. And then he said ask. And when he says ask, he's just telling you how to abide. They're really two names of the same thing. Asking prayer is all there is to the Christian life. When I look to God in Christ by the Spirit, I am abiding in the vine. That's all there is to that. Again, the focus of attention for the branch is on its connection to the vine. Trust God in Christ by the Spirit as the provider of all necessary things. I think I need something. Where do I get it? I ask. I ask the Father. How do I ask the Father? I can't even go anywhere near the Father except in Christ, the Son. In the Son, I have nothing but love, acceptance, and uh, Compassion from the Father. Provision, absolute. In fact, he's providing for me all the time, no matter what. Uh, So really, for me, I think asking, I, I don't really get God to do stuff for me by asking. I'm just kind of paying attention. 
I'm just engaging in the conversation, having the relationship. Uh, see what God will do. Ask, see what God will do. What are you supposed to ask for? In this text, whatever you wish. <laughs> whatever you wish. So if Jesus is not confident that your wishing has gotten straightened out at some point, he can't really say this. <laughs> so ask whatever you wish, it will be done. And if Jesus' words, this is the closing question that I have for you guys. If Jesus' words were to fully abide in you, would it change the nature of the things you would ask for? Yeah. Yeah. And you would see the positive response with greater frequency. Here's what's going on. The positive response is always happening. The only question is whether you observe it or not. Whether your asking is askew from the response. Here's, here's my illustration of this. I really need a bicycle. So I'm praying. Lord, please give me a bicycle. I need a bicycle. I need a bicycle. I need a bicycle. One day, some guy drives up in a really nice car and he says, Hey, you need a car? And I say, Lord, I need a bicycle. This is how I pray. God's over-providing. If you compare his provision with what I'm asking, I'm asking for my understanding of what I need. He's providing according to his understanding of what I need, which is much higher and much more abundant. So when, I, when my prayer starts to line up with his will, it gets probably more ambitious, and I start to see the correlation between the provision and my prayer, which otherwise I don't see. Like, so I'm asking for a bicycle, and he's sending me an airplane, and I think, I'm thinking too small. I'm saying, where's my bicycle? And he's going, uh, airplane. <laughs> uh, so uh, you get the idea. I think my prayer's not getting answered. <coughs> and it's because my prayer lacks imagination. My prayer uh, is too small. Here's something I think we could conclude from what Jesus says here, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Our praying is too small. Too small. Uh, and that doesn't, uh, you know, that's not me telling you dream big. <laughs> it's, telling, it's me telling you pay attention to Christ. I'm not telling you, you know, so don't ask for a thousand dollars, ask for a billion dollars. That's not what I mean. I mean, you're asking for money and God's wanting to give you something way better than money. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not just, uh, my, my dad used to say this like this. He said, well, if you're gonna wish, you might as well wish big. And what he meant was, you're not getting any of this, so wish away, pal. Just wishful, th I'm not telling you that. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
-hmm. He's just saying, look, God's provision is better than your prayer. Look for that and try to adjust your prayer so that it's looking for that. The only way you're going to adjust your prayer is abide in the vine. The only way you're going to abide in the vine is keep on praying. All right, I think I'm done. It reminds me of our conversation at the start of, of gathering about fear. Hmm. That, that the more I, I abide in Christ and His Spirit reigns within my heart, the fear subsides. It's on right. my prayer because oftentimes my prayer is about things that I'm worried about. Absolutely. And I have fear and I have anxiety because I want to be able to control whatever other aspects are, but it's just an indication to me that abiding yeah. in the vine and abiding more and more is it's just an invitation deeper. Right. Now my prayer Enjoy the love of being Christ. a little yeah. different in the face of tragedy or or difficulty yeah. or dire consequence or right. or just out of love, the care that you have for others and not wanting suffering or mm. whatever mm. bad outcome mm -hmm. it's occurs suddenly a little different, I would think, as, yeah. as I'm abiding further into the love of heart of Christ. Yeah, I think you see that pattern through all the Psalms where you start in this place of terror or fear or and that's through the course of the psalm is submitted to God. And then by the time you get to the end, there's a, there's a rejoicing in God that has somehow along the way resolved the, the fear or absorbed it. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the, or the text, the New Testament text, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. It's just that, okay, there's a father there. He's got the whole situation in view and in hand. Take it to him. Yeah. Take it to him. You can. And it's a very, it's, this is the psychological healing we were talking about. Yeah. Like, sure. uh, it's, yeah, it's, and it's not just telling yourself the right story. It's the reality of a relationship. Uh, you know, it's not like you would get in a psychotherapeutic environment some help, and it's actually help, helpful to people just to talk to somebody and kind of let their problem out, get out there. It's sort of unloaded. Well, that's good and helpful, but it doesn't actually do anything other than give you an opportunity to talk about it, you know, which, which has its helpfulness. But when I come to God in Christ... God cares for me. So it's as though my psychoanalyst actually has a plan to resolve the, the underlying issues. <laughs> That's another thing altogether. Yeah. So it's very healing yeah. to the soul. It's healing. Um, what Mark is saying that fear negatives, uh, a good practical example of was brought to me yesterday, the day in the morning. We were underwater and uh, I was um, 
going, looking, trying to relax, and <laughs> just looking at everything. And I was leading, and John was behind. And often, sometimes John's taking pictures and different things, and uh, I get ahead. And I always have to look back. Yeah. I looked back one time, and I saw him snipping with his shears. So I go, and one of the things was looking for lionfish. And I was looking for a lot more things. That wasn't the focus. Yeah. But I look back, and I mistakenly, uh, I thought that John had killed a lionfish and was shearing it. Uh-huh. And so I just looked, and, and the negative, like you could look at it. And then I just looked, and I looked at Christ. And I just started praying, and I was being thankful and looking at other things and not focusing on what I thought, hmm. and but focusing on Christ. And I was just praying and asking uh, uh, God if it was your will, if, if, and because it's not a focus. But uh, lionfish is, uh, this is my last dive, so this is my last dive, and we had the uh, elf, and it was just uh, one of the things, a nice thing, and uh, Lord, and just like totally his will, like not at all uh, focused on my want. And then right after that, and I had 2,000, I had more than 2,000 PSI than I noticed too. So these are all things that, uh, in training, right, John's always reminding me to keep so then it wasn't right after that that John sees a lionfish and, uh, and gets my attention and I go back and I'm thankful right away. I go, oh good, like, cause, and he's the one who brought it to my attention. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I would have not had any idea. Because um, he's at a different, I tend to go a little higher than him, mm-hmm. so I get more air. Yeah. Uh, all right, you're thinking. So I'm going over to where he's saying, and I don't know where his lionfish is, he points to where it is, but I see another lionfish. And, uh, and I see his lionfish, and I'm looking at it, and it's going deeper in the hole. Uh-huh. And this other one is a better shot for me. So I get the elf, and, uh, I, uh, and I go and shoot this other one. And uh, I think I missed the first time, and I had to reload. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I just, he went a little bit deeper. But I kept focused on that one, and I looked. I was looking always, like, which is the percentage wise, right? Because you're never thinking you're going to get both of them. So I just wanted one, right? Like, so I shot and hit. But the thing is so deep. Yeah. And try to but get it was it still back bigger. Out. Yeah, it was still bigger. And I had a better. So as far as and then hitting it, and then I just for about a minute. Yeah. Well, I think it was about. It felt to me two or three minutes. But I'm, I was flailing because I was just holding him. Yeah. And trying to get him deeper in, because I knew I had to take him out, right. and, you, and you had to twist, and then you knew that if it wasn't in, he's just going to fall off, right? And uh-huh. he's going to live. Yeah. And then my focus again was that these things need to be removed and killed, right? Because the reef, they're damaging the reef. So I, and John knows, I wish I was, I was flailing, like using so much energy to keep it there and so focused. And then I was able to pull it out, and... Uh, then I, uh, as soon as I could, I handed it to John because I wanted him to, because he's very competent uh, in handling, right? Killing the thing, the thing has to die, right? That's why the reason we're out there. So then, as soon as John does that, shears him that, gives it back to me, uh, then he points out the other one. I go to the other one, because I knew where the other one was, but as far as going, getting the one, was just an answer to prayer that I just prayed. And you don't understand, it's, it's not being sensational, it's actually believing and saying, and, and, and trying to focus on Christ, right? Like, that, no, like, you know what, I'm not gonna focus on something that's 
like whatever is happening in my head. I believe that though, okay. but I had the greater belief that just trusting in Christ. And then, so I went after the other one and then uh, it was, and I hit him straight out. And uh, then uh, John went and allowed me to uh, uh, shear and do everything and puncture and, uh, and just finish the job. But then it wasn't until, it was right away that, like, that you just are thankful to God totally, right? Because it's Him totally. Because I don't have the necessary competencies. Because as far as initially struggling with my buoyancy, and then you have to do all these things to function, right? Mm-hmm. And everything that went around. So my, my PSI went from over 2,000 <laughs> to 800. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and I don't know how long. And 45 so you were puffing away. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's kind of a big tank too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the, and the thing is, and, and God just blesses you so much because then like the entire dive, um, like then later on, it couldn't have been a better dive. Mm-hmm. Not because of the lionfish, not at all. Is more of answered prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just trusting. Because if God wouldn't have, I, I know how he, because it's a relationship. It's kind of like yeah. what we talked about before. Is the relationship that you trust the most, times a thousand, is Christ. Yeah. And no matter what, I know that he is good. And I know that he loves me, no matter what. Right? Yeah, and all your experiences, however, whatever they are and however trivial they might be, are in that context. And so there's, there's the scripture says, enjoy mm-hmm. the creation. There's a purpose of, I think, yeah. when we have those quote-unquote religious experiences in nature or whatever, even even human beings that don't know Christ are having that that image of God experience in that in the joy of those things in the spiritual feeling they don't know what they're listening to but they're what they're hearing is the voice of God and when we as a believer you're just multiplying that so even in the you know, whatever. There's nothing... If you think about a father in his relationship with his three-year-old child, all of that three-year-old child's concerns are trivial. They're... But the father does not regard them as trivial. He cares for them. He wants them to enjoy their life. He wants them to experience their life fully. We have the same thing in our relationship with God. So however silly, doesn't, the point is, are you, are you sharing it? Sure, that's why I share this yeah. now in, in the trust. Right. But, but the fact was, was, then right after like when we got up, I shared with John, because that's important. I go, well, this is because he, I had shot two, and I go, well, you got one earlier. Remember I said that to you? Because I believed that he had got one earlier, and I wasn't, that that was gone. Like, right? Once you trust in Christ, and 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 he's the focus. (laughs) And me a little bit. Because I I was going after fishing line. I cleaned up some fishing line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, That's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was doing. But I didn't know 
Right. So it was important to clear that up too, because the whole point it makes the when you think back and you just talk to God about it and you just thank Him, because that's what's so important when you ask. It's it's it seems trivial, but it's not trivial to me. And the thing is, asking. Right. I'm confident in my life when working in the secular world, and I have faith and I ask. I know that it's because of asking. If you're not asking, then you're not receiving. So it's not, the, the whole point is, is that God confirms his loving presence. And he really just, because he knows that we're, you of little faith. And he helps us, helps us in our unbelief. And, and we need that. And this, like this illustration that happened, because uh, John and I, uh, it's, it's like that's, I'm so thankful. Because I need those kind of confirmations. Mm. Right? So asking, it just comes, ask. And, and it is learning that it's God's will. He knows the bigger picture. And when we're just looking at him as like a vending machine, or like it's the tendency in the church though it is, right? We need really strong preaching that, that that's like that's what this teaching, yeah. right? Yeah. It's so strong. He's he's the vine. Right. So the life is in the vine. Yeah. So yeah, if you if you are focused on abiding, it's nothing more than looking to the vine for as as your resource. So whatever need you have, you probably misimagine it to one degree or another. Uh, you know, I, you're not as wise as God. So, but when you look to Him, He's providing, and that's consistently consistent and reliable. So we we abide, and and I honestly really believe in this context when Jesus says, "Ask." He's just telling you how to abide. He's just telling you asking and abiding are kind of the same thing. You're you're looking to the source that is actually the source.